ever listened to my little short Memorial Day podcast or read the article that goes along with it, you might want to check your feed for that. It, the whole podcast is maybe eight minutes long. The article is exactly what's in the podcast, so you can either read it or listen to it. Um, I think it's a different view of Memorial Day than a lot of people tend to give you. Um, coming from me, I guess it would be a little bit different as I'm always a little bit different, but what I talk about in it is first of all, understanding the difference between like Memorial Day and, and Veterans Day. Memorial Day is not the day you go out and you thank veterans for their service or anything like that, if that's the thing that you do. Memorial Day is, is about the people who fell and never got up again and never came home and understanding that difference. And then the other part of it is addressing the concept that some people don't think we should celebrate Memorial Day. We shouldn't be out with our families and having barbecues and enjoying a three-day weekend. It's a somber occasion. It is somber, but I make a case that the people that gave their lives would probably want you to go on enjoying and living yours. And I can't think of a more uh, fitting thing that you could do on a Memorial Day than crack a beer with some buddies and some family and enjoy yourselves. Anyway. Just a little aside there. I didn't really plan on bringing that up. I just thought of it when I turned the machine on. Uh, let's start out today with uh, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, one, I've got a big announcement. Our 15-year anniversary party is set when we're going to do it. Tickets will go on sale on Thursday, and I'll tell you all about that in just a moment. California and New York are in trouble again. They've lost about $93 billion in revenue uh, since the beginning of the COVIDs. Uh, from wealthy people leaving that are tired of giving them their money in the form of taxation. Florida was the big winner on that, but a lot of other states have benefited as well. We've talked about it before. We never really had a number we could put on it. $90 billion, $93 billion. Every billion counts when you're counting billions, right? That's, that's, that's kind of painful. Uh, and then California has a brilliant idea to make things even better. You're going to charge rich people more money for their electrical service than poor people, and strain and already we're ready to fall apart California electrical grid and electrical system. So that's just wonderful. Um, commercial real estate's having a meltdown, just like I predicted it would. And it's hitting, well, what two states do you think it's hitting the hardest? California and New York City. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about biochar and a septic system. I threw out a thing. If anybody out there was an engineer that actually builds septic systems, could think of a way to use biochar in one to let me know. And I think it was a pretty creative solution. And I feel kind of dumb that I didn't think of it myself, except the problem that it solves isn't one I've ever had to deal with before. So um, then I have a question about what we feed our dogs. It's pretty simple. It's chicken. I'll tell you what we do, why we do it that way. And uh, the improvement the dogs have had since we've done that and why it's, well, it's not expensive. People would think it's expensive. It's really not. It's, it's no more than feeding them bag dog food. In fact, it's less if you don't count the work anyway, because there's some work to it. Because they eat less because they're eating more nutrient-dense food. Really simple concept there. Um, question about using cat litter to seal a pond uh, and how to fix a large leaky pond. It's going to be quite expensive. Um, we'll talk about that. I'll, and I also sent this to Jeff Lawton. 
and he may have a better answer uh, for uh, the person than, than I will. Uh, then just a real quick update on some stuff in the garden. I want to tell you about what's going on with our sickle squash, which is a new plant this year. And uh, what we do with mouse melons, I have a new video out on that was just dropped on YouTube right before I went live here. And what I'm learning to use with AI this week, and for the, so those of you that have actually gotten with the fact that we're in the year 2023 and gotten off of the regular social media and gotten on Noster, you probably know where I'm going with the cool new interview series that it will inspire. So that's our show for the day. And uh, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor of the day number one today is Paul Wheaton over at permies.com and uh, his jumbo. Uh, and I, I realized just now I spelt, spelt jumbo wrong. That's actually because I, uh, I cut and pasted it from his copywriting guy. Need to fix that. And it says jumob, 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 the jumob DVD package. It's really a great package, though. It's uh, 12 DVDs. For $97, even though the graphic says 100 What can I say? I was a little bit behind uh, today, but it's got a great set of DVDs. It's wood-burning stoves, better heat, uh, rocket ovens, and garden uh, domination. All of it on DVD. For those of you that like DVDs over downloads, I uh, every time I bring out a downloadable package from Paul, I hear from a few people that want DVDs. I personally like downloads, but if you want the real DVDs, you can get them here. All 12 of them ship right to your door, 97 bucks. If you are international, it's a flat international rate of $135. Next up today, the Fold Cart. Now, they're not really a sponsor. They're just an affiliate link that I use, but I decided to give them top billing today because I wanted you to know about something. I always say, if you don't use the Fold Card, you hate money, right? And I think you do because you just switched to using a different card for your payments, run your payments through it, and you get Bitcoin back on every expenditure that you make. You can spin the wheel once a day. You get additional spins every time you spend. Each $10 earns you another spin. Spin, get more Bitcoin, all of it just by using the Fold Card. But the reason I brought them up today first and foremost is because they are doing a special promo. And in that promo, you actually get um, 50,000 sats just for signing up with Fold. So if you get the fold card, you spend at least 20 bucks on it, they'll give you 50,000 sats right out of the gate. And yours truly, I'll get 50,000 sats for referring you, so make sure you're using my link. You'll find the link um, in the show notes for today's episode if you're listening to the audio. Or if you're watching the video, the links for the DVD series and the fold card are right down there at the bottom of, the, of your screen in the video notes. All right. With that... Let's start off with the big announcement. Yes, we are having a 15-year anniversary party. No, it's not free to come to. Um, I don't like charging for a party. I can't do the kind of party I want to give to you guys without charging, though. And I'm making zero dollars. We'll be out of pocket probably a couple thousand bucks on this thing by the time it's all said and done with. I am charging 80 bucks per ticket because we are paying $80 a head for people at the location that we're going to be at. This should be really fun though, guys. I mean, it has been um, a while since we had something like this. We did the 10 year party five years ago. It seems like yesterday. It was an amazing experience. Uh, Dorothy and I always do an after action review though. And our decision on that last one was what enough food for everybody. So we went all in on the food. Um, 
This is going to be like a buffet-style meal. You see Dorothy, if you're on the video, you see Dorothy hanging out there with a, a giant corkscrew. That'll open any bottle shard day, I guess. Anyway, uh, it's a really cool place. It's called Pinstripes. There is bowling, but it's not a bowling alley. It's a cool bar and restaurant that has private lanes set aside. And what you're, if you're watching the video, the lounge you're looking at there has four lanes, Grab shoes, grab a ball, and bowl. It's that simple. Uh, it's going to be a four-hour-long party. I don't expect everybody will bowl. Some people will. Some people won't. I went ahead and put the lanes in this, though, for that lounge that you're looking at alone. Just having that extra space, those big couches uh, for overflow of people and what have you should be awesome. There's the general space as a whole right there. Uh, it's a great kind of industrial feel Really cool place, and I don't have a good picture of it because they were using it when I was there scoping it out, but through the doors that are just to the one side of the bar, there's a huge outdoor terrace. We'll have access to that space. The lounge is just around the corner. As far as food, again, it's going to be buffet, but it's elevated buffet. We went there and we ate. I'm not doing business with any restaurant that I'm bringing a group into unless I try out their food, so we went over and had that. The, it's going to be American Feast Buffet, and it is all you can eat. It's burgers, it's ribs, it's chicken, desserts, non-alcoholic beverages included in the ticket price uh, as well. The buffet lasts for an hour and a half. They just keep bringing food until your hour and a half is up. So eat all you want, and they'll bring more. Um, and again, ribs and burgers, and uh, these are not like freezer burgers. These are top-end, like Angus beef, Mongo burgers. Uh, that's what Dorothy had. She she really enjoyed her burger. I had um, the ribs. The ribs were fantastic. I I got a whole order of ribs. They were the meatiest ribs I've ever had in my life. I ate one rib. I felt like I ate a pork chop. Um, it was. I, I still have half of my food in the refrigerator that I brought home with me. So this is going to be an awesome experience. I really hope you guys can can come, and I really hope you guys uh, that that, that want to come make. Uh, get yourself a calendar reminder or something like that. Um, tickets are going to go on sale Thursday this week, Thursday morning, 8 central. I don't think this will sell out the way that a workshop does, like super fast, but you never know. So don't don't miss out on the opportunity to come if you want to. Thursday. Why Thursday, Jack? I mean, people have to work on Thursdays. Take a couple days off. Take Thursday and Friday off. And then have a really long kick-ass weekend, better than the one you just had. And what could be better than starting your time off of that long weekend, hanging out with, you know, 75, 80 members of the TSP crew. I'm sure some of the uh, expert council members will be there. I haven't talked to everybody yet. I know Nicole Sauce is coming, so she will definitely be there. And I'll tell you what, it would be awesome, awesome, awesome to have you guys with me. So please consider coming. And uh, with that, we'll move on. We'll get into what you came for. Um, the meat of the show. We're going to start talking now about what is going on in New York and California. They have lost again, a combined 92 billion in income as rich Americans escaped other States. And it says, here's the low tax areas that scooped up those billions. It, the article really only mentions, um, one state, and that's Florida. But if you if you dig in and look at where people really went to, they went to Florida and they went to uh, they went to Texas. Those are the two states that got 
the most people to uh, to move to them that left California and New York. There's some other states who did okay in that. Uh, population of Tennessee is growing, as many of our folks really uh, can attest to. Tennessee is a great place to live. There's a, there's a common theme in those three states, though, and you know what it is. There's no income tax. There's no income tax. There's sales tax, but California and New York also have high sales tax. So they have sales tax and income tax. Um, California, about the only thing they do right with taxes, they do have some property tax controls. I think it was Prop 21 that did that. But otherwise, uh, they're just hellholes. I mean, you're paying more and more money to live in a state that doesn't value you as, at all. Is, is the way that it seems to feel for many people. But there was a video on this article. I want to go ahead and play this for you. It's about real estate prices as a whole. And uh, I'll come back after I play this and uh, we'll talk about it. Many cities across the country, some homes are selling for tens of thousands of dollars less, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of dollars less than they were just a year ago. Here to explain Yahoo Finance housing reporter Rebecca Chen. Rebecca, so what's going on? Where are we seeing this and what's causing it? So numbers that we're seeing show that some of the San Francisco housing are $220,000 less than just a year ago. And this is per house. Um, experts we previously chatted with say it's because buyers are just not as aggressive in the market. Um, there's not as much wealth in the tech ecosystem. So there's not that much IPO going on. The VC funding has really dried up and because of the tech layoff. And also we're seeing that pandemic boomtown prices are really coming down. So Austin, Texas, Boise, Idaho, prices are dropping in these places as well. Um, Austin it saw a 15% decline this year. It's about $85,000 less compared to last year per house. And Boise, and this is really the market where in the last two years market went crazy over it skyrocketed over 40 percent in just one year and in Boise Idaho we're also seeing similar things where it's a 15 percent drop and that's about eighty thousand dollar less in a house compared to last year how does this all uh, compare to where things were pre-pandemic so before a pandemic um we are, uh, prices weren't as high, obviously. And for Austin, uh, prices are still relatively elevated compared to pre-pandemic. About, uh, based on our calculation, average price is about still 50% higher than 2019. But on the other hand, San Francisco is seeing a little bit more coming back down. So based on our calculation, San Francisco right now sits about within. That's as much of that as I could tolerate, guys. I, I, I think we're dealing with a real, pair of geniuses here that can't figure out what's going on. Uh, Prepper Book Club has it. The market was ridiculously overpriced. That's part of it. That is part of it. But what else has changed? What else has changed since, uh, since these prices have come down? The cost of a house is up. It's not down. It costs more to buy a house right now than it did before these prices came down. How does that work? Because most people don't walk into a, a real estate negotiation, pull out a billfold and go 300000 and start counting $100 bills out, right? There it is. Stan's got it. Interest rates are in more than doubled where they were during the boom, the COVID moving boom, right? And that was a lot of people were moving to get the hell away from wherever they were to go somewhere that they had more freedom and what have you. 
And there was also a lot of movement out of California and New York. And while, mo as we just covered, most of those people did go to Texas and Florida. They, they got the, the lion's share of it. But it actually doesn't take as many people as you think it does to drive up real estate costs in an area. And once you understand how real estate costs are derived when it comes to mortgages and listing price, then you, you understand real quickly how that can happen. So if you have places that people aren't specifically moving away from, like if you have two different locations and people are moving from one to the other, it's not like they're swapping, then you're going to have a magnified impact on the destinations because we don't have a growth in inventory of, a, of an equivalent number of people moving out. Then you start to compete for the homes that are there. Now, if you add to it somebody that's used to paying, you know, half a million dollars for a two bedroom piece of shit in California. And I mean a total piece of shit for half a million dollars. And they go into a place like uh, Colorado Springs, though Colorado's not where I would have chosen to go during COVID. But Colorado Springs is a, a fairly smaller you know, city or they move into a place like uh, a small town in Texas or Florida. And they realize what they can get for their money. And the price is elevated from where it was for that area. They don't even care. As long as the house will appraise, then they'll pay that. And so you start pushing the prices up. And every time a house sells within a neighborhood, when the next listing agent comes in, they pull comps, which is they get three houses as close to your house in size and amenities as possible. And they establish what the base value of the house is. And then they use mitigating and aggravating circumstances like you have a deck and the neighbor that sold the house didn't. So that adds value to your house. And that starts pushing the values up. And they just kept coming and people just kept coming. And plus, they were having their hands stuffed with money. A lot of families got you know upwards of $10,000 or more in stimulus checks. Many of them didn't need it. But many of them went, wait a minute. This is our chance to own a home. Instead of spending it every time it came in, they stacked it. They used it as a down payment, and they went out and they bought houses with really great interest rates, and they didn't care. See, this is the thing. People tend to only think about the money that's going to leave their hands this month. They don't think about it long term. We've become a very short-time preference society. So people don't buy a house for $250,000 in their head or $400,000 in their head. They don't even care about the price. They find out how much they can borrow and what a house payment will be. They buy a payment. So when that payment was affordable, it didn't matter how much the house was in the mind of the buyer. They sort of care about it, but when they say, you know, our budget is $300,000, the only reason they say that is because that's what they got approved for. Now, let's flip it on its head and what's going on right now. So the mortgage interest rates went up. Okay, the, the buyer has the same income the buyer always had. They have the same down payment they always had. So the lenders do the same thing. They look at the payment and they say, based on your income and your credit, we are comfortable with you having a payment of X. Well, that number didn't go up. So when interest rates go up, the buying power of the buyer goes down. It's that simple. And these two geniuses are just, we can't, we really, it's not all COVID. We can't, okay, this is very, this is economics 101. She's the real estate expert, and she doesn't understand this. And this is the media as a whole. This is what's happened. They've gone out and they've hired all these young people, right, 
for diversity and inclusion on top of it. None of them know anything. They don't know anything about the thing that they're supposed to be an expert in. That's why you can't listen to them. That's why you got to tune in to old guys like me. We we can break this down and explain it. Okay, so California bleeding population, right? Bleeding population, absolutely. And so I know, let's make it better. Let's fix the problem. I know this will do it. All of our rich people are leaving. So what we're going to do is we're going to come up with a new plan for electricity, and we're going to give it to poor people dirt cheap, and we're going to rip off rich people for, for the same electricity. Based on your income, you'll pay a different electrical rate, like socialism for your electric bill. This is uh, this is you have to think about the totality of this. And I want to have a little bit of a discussion about electric cars during this as well. And boy, when you go to California, you see more electric cars than you see anywhere else in the country, anywhere I've been anyway. I was just in California for a week and a half uh, last month. And it was it was pretty amazing how many Teslas and other EVs that we saw there. So you have a state that's already tells people like, Turn your air conditioning thermostat up to 80 degrees at these hours, right? Uh, or, you know, you don't really need air conditioning in California, man, right? You hear that bullshit. Yeah, go go live there. Now, where I was in Mendocino, uh, you didn't, right? But Southern Cal, you got to be kidding me this whole, man, you don't even need air conditioning. Nonsense. So they already have a problem. They're already telling people to stagger their times, like they have a system, I think, now where they say, like, you know, if your plate ends in this, pl- don't plug your electric car until eight o'clock or something like that. Odd and even days or some shit they're doing. Yeah. It's it's ready to the whole California grid is ready to just fall over unless you're Gavin Newsom or one of the elites. Then your electricity never goes off. Funny how that works. So I got this great idea. What we'll do is we'll practically give poor people their electricity for free. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I think most of you guys are smart enough to know what can go wrong. You get a lot more rolling blackouts, brownouts, grid failures, et cetera, in California. And that's, that is what is coming. That is absolutely what is coming to California. If they do this, it's not a guarantee that they'll do this. They have a deadline. It's like a month out right now or something. They have to change their billing structure. I don't understand exactly how that works. I think I don't care enough about California to dig deep into this. But they have a deadline. you got to do something different. And so I know just add a little socialism like we did uh, to the rest of the state. What could go wrong? It'll be fine. So we continue down that brilliant uh, path of California, blazing a trail toward its own demise. Uh, I, I actually think right now California, Oregon, Washington, New York, and Illinois are all in a competition. Who can completely destroy their state first? Who do you think it's going to be? If you have to take if you have to take a bet on this, who's going to completely demolish what's left of their once great state first? My money personally is on New York. And I think it's a shame because rural New York is absolutely positively one of the most beautiful places in the world. It should be. It looks a lot like rural Pennsylvania. Um, But the idiots in New York City and in Albany. And in some of the other big uh, cities in New York are hell bent on destroying their state. 
California gets a lot more press for it because let's be honest, they have a bigger problem with people pooping in the streets than New York does. But from an economic standpoint, nobody is taking it to their own citizens and ripping them off, robbing them blind and giving them as little back as possible as New York State. That's my opinion. Now, the thing about the electric thing, and, and I'm always, I don't know, amazed is the right word. Um, I'm always shocked that the media won't even ask the most basic question about this whole plan for electric vehicles, because the most basic plan is, or most basic question is what happens if 10, 15, 20% of the vehicles on the road today over the next year or two are replaced with electric vehicles, which is a goal. It's a stated goal to get to at least that. Right. And eventually all electric vehicles, like you have every major car maker heading in this direction. Now, Dodge just announced a couple months ago, and it makes me want to buy another one. They're discontinuing the Challenger this year, and what's replacing it is an EV. So they're getting they're getting rid of their Challenger and the Charger, two iconic modern muscle cars, to bring in EVs. Now, let me say, as a guy that likes to go fast, if you want to go fast, EVs are the way. The the littlest Tesla can blow away my my best friend's Corvette, right? If you pay enough money to unlock the, the power, you can blow away every Corvette on the road in a, in, a, in, a, in a Tesla. I don't know how safe you'd be when you hit a turn, but the speed is there. So I'm not putting down the performance of EVs. I just want to ask a simple question. What happens when all those people plug it into the grid? I mean, we already have a lot of places in the country where heat waves, we have blackouts and brownouts. We have usage advisories. Same thing with deep freezes and stuff like that. Right now, our grid is barely enough to get by with. And you're going to start, like, think of how much energy you're actually talking about here. And no one has a plan for this. There is no plan for this. If you look it up, it will say, it will tell you that there's nothing to worry about. It's all okay. But they don't explain how it's okay or why it's okay. They say stupid generalistic shit like, well, not everybody plugs their car in at the same time. Not everybody needs to charge their car uh, every day. Like if you have a vehicle with a 300-mile range and you drive 50 miles to work, you only need to charge it a couple times a week. But first of all, we all know, we all know that is not how people do things. We all know if you have an electric car, when you pull in to your garage you're going to plug it in. Americans like things full. We like things ready to go. We don't ever want to be without. How many of you, when you walk into your house, first thing you do is plug your phone in? How many of you, when you get in your car, first thing you do is plug your phone in? Your phone's always at 100%, right? You only use it not plugged in when you're not somewhere where it's convenient to do it. If you don't do that, by the way, you should, because you're. Like, we teach this as preparedness, right? Your phone is your lifeline. It gets you information. It lets you contact people. The best way to have backup power for your phone is keep it fully charged and have a backup pack. Then you've got three or four full charges that you can work with if you do that. Right. Uh, so Americans, when they have something rechargeable, they plug it in. And Dave Smith says 10 to 20 percent of vehicles could not be replaced over the next year. Production capacity is not there yet. Yeah, but it's getting there. And I said next few years. Right. There's going to be this. This this is not a problem that is going to go away. 
And it's not a problem they're going to solve. And what they're going to do is eventually when they start having problems, they're going to blame other things for the problems. And uh, we just lost Facebook feed. So not on Facebook today. Oh, well, I don't really care to be there anyway. Um, yeah, they're going to blame. I, there was a video out today. I should have queued it up for the show. I shared it on Noster. And it was this big report about how vulnerable our electrical grid is. And if you took down as few as somewhere between 9 and 20 transformers throughout the country, you could shut the entire country down. Then they produced a map that shows you where they all were because it's such a big you know, terrorist threat. We're so worried about the terrorists that we need to tell them which ones to take out. That was brilliant. It was on 60 Minutes. Oh, it gets better. They managed to blame Russia and white supremacy in a three-minute video about the electric grid for the threat. It was white supremacists that want to take down the grid, and it's the Russia, 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 you know? Like, we don't have another adversary out there. It, 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 but no one can answer that question. And I'm going to tell you why no one can answer the question. Because the question is not comfortable because it doesn't have an answer. That's why you won't hear it addressed at all. And that's what's going to happen. As the electric vehicle growth continues, you'll have more and more stress on the grid. They do not have a plan to fix this. They're hell-bent on going green everything. So since they're going to go green with everything, what does that mean? Well, that means that we're going to have less energy generation, right? We're not building new power plants that actually use the things that actually work. You want clean energy, you want nuclear. You want cleaner energy, you want natural gas. That's the, that is the foreseeable future of power generation is those two methods. We haven't built a nuclear plant, I don't know since when. They have no interest in actually fixing this problem. What they have an interest in is coming up with a way to convince you that it's your fault or it's white supremacists' fault or it's Russia's fault, and that just means you need to use less energy. While California gives it to free for free, damn near, if you look at the pricing structure to poor people. It's, it's insane. It's insane. And again, it will not go away. Now, if this wasn't enough bad news for you in one day, guess who we got next? San Francisco. Can't figure out why they have a problem with people leaving San Francisco. San Francisco downtown. Like, if you were a giant mega corporation 50 years ago, and you wanted a global presence, and you want to say we have offices in London, right? We have offices in Paris. We have offices in Japan, Tokyo, right? One of the names you wanted on that list was San Francisco, New York, Chicago, San Francisco. See a common denominator there? They're all screwing themselves over, right? So right now, there is a tremendous amount of vacancies in San Francisco, but not in housing. No, commercial real estate. And I mean the big, giant, beautiful skyscrapers in downtown San Francisco. They're, some of them have occupancies under 50%. Now, you know what that means. You can't run the building and, 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 and keep the building running with the rent coming in from the people that are, are there, the tenants that you have. It's not enough. You, you have a building that's losing. It's bleeding money. So there's there's some plans. One is to turn it into housing. Somebody actually talked, only California, about turning one of them in like a water slide park or something like that. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and play this video for you 
of uh, these folks trying to figure out, you know, how could how could they make this work and what the problem is in the first place? Is an economic hub for the Bay Area. San Francisco's downtown is an economic hub for the Bay Area. Leaders say empty office spaces hurt the city. And the mayor just introduced new legislation today to the Board of Supervisors. It could pave the way to convert downtown office buildings into housing. Yes, we do need more housing, but I'm not sure how to make it work. Many people agree the city of San Francisco needs more affordable housing. Mayor London Braid and SS Supervisor Aaron Peskin believe one answer could be converting empty office buildings downtown to housing. I think it's a great idea. The buildings are vacant now anyway, with tech moving out and a lot of the vacant space in the offices. So why not? People need housing, so might as well utilize the space. Today, the mayor submitted legislation to the Board of Supervisors designed to change an old planning code to make it easier and less expensive to convert vacant commercial spaces. Supervisor Peskin worked with the mayor for the past month on this legislation. I'm excited. Uh, it, I mean, look, uh, San Francisco and its downtown have challenges. There are also opportunities for reimagining, and this is one of them. When you think about conversion, it's really the Class C buildings that are going to be looked at. They're typically uh, much older, smaller footplates. Um, than like your Salesforce Tower. And while there's still a lot of work to be done to decide which building would be converted and how much it would cost, the end game could be promising, says Downtown SF Partnership. You think about the amount of utility work um, alone that needs to go into converting one of these buildings, but with the right incentives um, from the city, the right incentives from the state, you know, we could look at a mini lower Manhattan model this mother from Richmond hopes for the best. Being a, a mom myself, I, I think it's a wonderful idea yeah. because, you know, you can occupy a building, you know, with the families and they'll be happy to know they have somewhere to stay. And uh, I don't think any parents wants to be homeless. Economic experts say the office vacancy in San Francisco is about 30 percent. According to policy research groups, the city's empty office space could hold nearly 11,000 new homes. All right. OK, 11,000 new homes, affordable homes, too. Right. You heard that affordable, affordable. How many of you actually believe that all of the grifters are getting together behind London Breed, who is literally one of the dumbest politicians in America? This is a person you can find a dumber politician. She's she cackles and she she lives right next to Joe Joe Biden. OK, that's the only her and AOC are probably the only two politicians I can think of that are dumber than London Breed. London Breed is a complete idiot, but she's a greedy, rich idiot like all politicians in California are. You really think that this plan to reimagine downtown San Francisco is going to involve having affordable housing in some of the most desirable real estate in San Francisco? Giant high-rise building, big giant glass walls. I mean, sounds like rich people condos to me, and that's what it'll be. I mean, honestly, I just watched a series with my wife. It was based on one of Harlan Coben's books, and I don't remember which one it was because we watched, we binged a bunch of them because they were pretty well made, even though a lot of them were made in other countries, and you had to turn the closed caption on for like the one that was made in Poland that was Polish actors or whatever. Um, but this one was done in London. And in the storyline, there was a guy who was trying to hold on to his house. And I'm not going to tell you why, because it's part of a plot twist. 
but he was really trying to hold on. And there was this developer that was trying to take it over and a big fight going on with it. And the whole point was that they were saying that, that, you know, England had a housing crisis and this was going to help alleviate it. But none of the people that needed a house were ever going to be able to afford one of these new houses that started at a half a million dollars and up and were, you know, being called or half a million pounds and up and being called affordable. That's what this is. Do you really think that they're going to have like Section 8 housing in these skyscrapers? And they don't know how much it's going to cost. They don't know which building they're going to do it with. They don't have any answers at all yet, except, hey, this is a good idea. And in California, if politicians think it's a good idea, they generally try to do it. Reparations. Yeah, let's do that for for uh, for black transsexuals. We'll, we'll, do, we'll start there or, or what have you. I mean, this, this maybe I'm wrong when I predict New York will be the, 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 the winner of the destroy your own state derby. Right. It's like a demolition derby between those five states. Right. I mean, it's it's a clown show. And if it didn't affect millions of good people's lives, it would be it would be humorous. But it's not humorous. And I know I tell people all the time, get out, move. But I also honestly say, if you can, because I understand not everybody can just up and leave. Now, I'm going to tell you what, if I was in one of those five states, though, I would be doing everything I could to get out of there. And I, I just would encourage you to consider Maybe you haven't completely thought it through yet if you're stuck in one of these places, especially if you're near the epicenters of stupidity like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York City, Chicago, you know, Portland, Seattle. I mean, you talk about epicenters of, 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 of shitholes. You're, you're way, way, way exceeding what's reasonable there. So San Francisco has this problem. And. This is not the only indicator that we're looking at a commercial real estate apocalypse. There's actually a new study, a study, right, um, out today or out, well, out last week. It came out last week. Um, work from home and the office real estate apocalypse. And this is out of uh, New York University, Stern School of Business. And I, I only read the abstract on this. I, I think I pretty much get what's going on here. Um, they're blaming COVID yet again, but COVID's over, right? I mean, some people can't let go. I did see a mask tarred this, this weekend again. It always amazes me when you're in a grocery store or something. You, see, you know what amazes me the most about the mask tards that are still going around? When you see like a married couple and one of them is a mask card and the other one isn't. What is that conversation like at home, in the car? Does the mask card wear his mask to bed? I don't know. Anyway, but COVID as an impact, right, as far as having to work from home is gone. But here's what's not gone. People like working from home. And it turns out that when you have good people working for you and you send them home, they're happier. They're more likely to keep their job and not leave. They get all their work done and you don't need to just look over their shoulder and make sure that they're doing their work all the time, that there's other ways to gauge an employee's performance. Like this is the work I expect from you. The work is done. It's done properly. Here's your money. And so just like it affected homeschooling massively because so many people that thought they couldn't homeschool when they had no choice. They were told, thou shalt 
homeschool because we have closed the schools. They did it, and the, two things happened. One, their kids' lives got better once they adapted to it. And two, they got to look behind the lines through a Zoom lens about what their kids were actually learning and how shitty the schools have actually become. And because I think most parents still in their head really thought that school was a lot like when they were kids. And when they saw that it wasn't and they saw the the whole they tried so many spins on this. Right. One of the spins was what? Distance learning just doesn't work. Yeah. Watch my watch my granddaughter do out school and clap and and cheer because she gets to take a class on something she wants to learn about. Tell me distance learning doesn't work. Ask every podcaster that's out there teaching people every day if distance learning works, if you're actually a good freaking teacher and good at what you do. So it wasn't that. It was that people got to test drive what homeschooling was like. They also got to test drive what working from home was like, and they enjoyed working from home. Let's, let's just I mean, think about just removing the commute, how big a deal that is. And especially if you're in New York City, where this study particular centered on was the, the the problem you just saw in San Francisco. Some bitch, if New York doesn't have the same problem, actually, it's worse in New York. New York is a bigger city than San Francisco with more space. And therefore, the same percentage is a lot more space that's not being used. The other thing that happened, people moved. People moved. They, you know, we just talked about that. But what they did is they said, I'm working from home. I'm going to move. So they moved. And when the company says, well, we kind of want you to come back to work now, they're like, well, I can either find another job or you can let me keep doing this because I moved. And I'm not moving back because they went to a state where they're not paying 13% in income tax like you do in New York. Isn't that funny? The people actually like the other thing happened is a lot of these big companies realized, oh, wait a minute. If we don't have this many people in this building. And we send them all home. We can stop renting one of even if they kept their presence. We can stop renting this floor. That's a lot of money saved. Just the electric bill on a floor in a high rise is insane. Pinterest, right when this all happened, they walked on a lease. And I think they paid like a forty five million dollar fee to break their lease and do it without destroying like their business credit rate. And they said, we're just not we're not doing this anymore. They, they completely. And that was the California. I think that was in San Francisco. So this problem's not going to go away. And this is a problem that everybody said wasn't going to be a problem. But some redneck duck farmer even got the shirt to prove it. Right. Told you this was going to be a problem years ago. And when the COVID thing said, watch it accelerate. Remember what I used to say when COVID was going on. COVID is killing the dying, and I don't mean people. And if you look around at all of, let's say, the restaurants that didn't make it through COVID and reopen on the other side, tell me that any of them were hard to get a table at most days of the week before it. And the, and, and the truth is most of them weren't. They were on the edge. There was a lot of businesses that were on the edge. They were on a knife's edge. And just like, you know, when a 96-year-old person gets a respiratory infection, they're likely to die, especially if they're bedridden already. When you have a business that is on the edge of bankruptcy but is somehow surviving, if you take away its ability to generate any revenue, it's going to go out of business really quickly. Stimulus and, you know, 
PP uh, payroll, you know, loans or whatever. It doesn't matter. The business can't survive. And so that's another thing that happened in a lot of these places. Like if your company you work for isn't there anymore, you are also pretty interested in moving at that point because the one thing that's holding you there, there's things that hold you there, right? Your home, your job, your family. Those are the three things that I always hear when I talk about moving that people say they can't let go. I love my house, the home itself, right? Or my family's here, or I have a really good job. You lose the job, you're going to move. Or if you decouple from the job, you're going to move. So do you really think that it's only commercial real estate in New York and San Francisco that is starting to be more and more vacated, right? I think San Francisco has a leg to stand on in claiming that they, uh, that they do need more housing still. Uh, and it's because building anything in California is incredibly stupid expensive. Right? So here's the other thing that's hitting all this housing stuff, and no one's talking about this either. The cost of building. The cost of building has gone up exponentially. right? So you have a soft real estate market and a, a very high cost of building on top of it. And then, as I've been saying for how long, all of these morons in all these cities decided to put in square foot building uh, minimums. They even did it here where I live in my county, not my county, the one county over. You cannot build a new house under 2,500 square feet. You just can't. You, I mean, where there is no building codes, it doesn't matter. It's just you have to build more than 2,500 square feet to protect more tax base. So that puts pressure on. New home buyers that, you know, 1,200, 1,300 square foot is all they're looking for. And then everybody's competing for those. And that drives the, the whole thing is a mess. And it's this weird mess where you're starting to see real estate pricing collapse, but people still can't afford a house. It's, it's very much, it makes me think of a story that my grandfather used to tell me when he was a kid during the Depression. He was a young man during the Depression, actually. And he said that. You know, he'd go downtown and walk around. There'd be somebody selling apples. And I don't remember what the price was, but it was like a big bushel of apples for a nickel, let's say, or something like that. And he would just say, he'd just look at it and go, damn, that's cheap. Can't afford it, but what a great price. That's what you're seeing coming in real estate. Let's turn the corner, though, and talk about some other stuff. Um, biochar, I have two questions on that today. One is, and I keep getting this one, so I'll answer it again really quickly. Since it's really good at absorbing nutrient, can I just put it in the filter of my fish tank, use it for a couple of days, and then take it out in the yard? You can. Um, I asked Michael um, for Blue Sky Biochar, Mike Whitman, last week about doing it in an aqu aquaponics system and said, how long do you think you'd need to run it before it would be sufficiently charged up? And he said a week or two. I think that's probably about the same in a fish tank, depending on how stocked the tank is and what your feeding rate is. The problem is I don't think it's a usable quantity worth having. If you, you know, if you strip out an over-the-back uh, aquarium filter, like a big one for like a 75, what are you going to put in there? A couple cups of biochar? If it's nothing but biochar, you're going to put in, you know, maybe, maybe, two or three cups of these in an OTB of that size. So I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I just don't think it actually gives you anything of any quantity. Now, we use activated carbon 
which is like Biochar's um, elite older sibling that went off to Princeton or Harvard or Yale when they actually used to still educate people uh, in our fish tanks. And it's a better tool for that job. And, you know, whenever I clean my things out, I always throw it in the compost. I always did that even before I really got into biochar. But I just don't think it's a really valid way to go. Now, somebody asked me also last week about using it in a septic system. This is a guy, he had a seat pit and it wasn't perking right out of it. And I, I don't really know that it would help, though maybe in some ways it could. Um, it sounds to me like this needs to be like excavated. That one needs to be like excavated on the outside and, and the, um, the soil surrounding it is not perking well enough. Well, this gentleman named Tom, different Tom than the one we're usually referencing here, has done quite a bit with septic tanks. And what he has said is the worst place for you to do a septic is in crappy clay soils uh, because you, you don't get much perk out of it, which is the ability of the water to move through. And if you think about clay and how clay behaves, it makes perfect sense that, you know, a larger particle size like sand, water flows straight through it. Clay sticky. It holds on to it. What he said he's noticed is that in some places where there's been a really heavy fire uh, that would normally not do well with this the septic system you're able to actually it works and a lot of times you're able to put in less linear feet of trench than you would have thought you would and a lot of times this just happens because people when they build a new house which usually when you're installing a septic it's a new build right you're servicing a septic in an old build and you're putting a new one in, in a new build not always but often um they need to get rid of brush you know slash building material, et cetera. And they push it all in a pile and they burn it. And a lot of times they burn it like right where the leach field is going to go, because that's just about far enough from the house that you don't burn down the house you're building. And you don't want to go any further than you have to So they put a big burn pile out there. And he said that it changes the clay. And I'll, I'll say more about that in a minute because I, I know exactly what's going on here. And a lot of times this will actually make a septic system less expensive to install or it'll actually work to where when they perk test it, it will perk enough that you can even go with a conventional septic instead of having to go with some other solution. What he said, and I want to read this, he said the most practical use for biochar in a septic system would be to improve the soil properties of the leach field before building the system. This could be used to transform a site which is marginal into one that is suitable for building a home, or it can be used to reduce the size of the septic field required. For instance, in New York, you have a three-bedroom home in a crappy clay soil with a perk rate of, say, 30 minutes. You would need a system with 275 linear feet of trenches. If you use biochar to modify the soil ahead of time, you may find the perk rate is in the range of 11 to 15 minutes. Now your leach field only needs 207 linear feet of trench. So I think that works. So let's start off with what I think is happening with the fire issue. When you fire clay, it turns into hard pieces of clay instead, you know, like, like ceramic basically. And so whenever you're examining a site that has a lot of clay in it, if there's ever been major fire there, when you excavate some of the clay, you can also, um, you can also, I'm sorry, when, when you excavate the clay, you can look at it and you can see these little pieces that look like pottery. They're not pottery, but they look like pottery. You can tell they're not pottery because they're not as perfectly formed. And so I think what 
Tom here observed is when this large fire created lots of basically clay pebbles in that land that increased particle size overall and in, improved the perk rate. You know what? Biochar would totally do that. Even though it's, it's very able to hold on to water, it does really create a much more friable soil. He also says the way that he thinks would be best to do that would be to basically dig trenches or, or pits right in where you're going to do the work and make the char right there and then turn it into the soil. I think that's a fine idea. You definitely don't need granular-sized, super small biochar for this either, just a basic crush driving. If you use something like a... Uh, if you use something like a bobcat to do the dirt work, probably especially when on tracks, man, just driving over it a bit, spread it out, turn it in. And, and you, I think that would actually work really well. I think that would work fantastic. And if you have enough material to do the biochar burn with that's on site and you need to get rid of it anyway, it seems like a total win. So, I wasn't sure if there was a solution here, but I think that is one. And that's why I put it out to the audience. A lot of times I know I've got expertise in this audience uh, that are uh, that, that are beyond my own. Sorry, I feel like my timing's off a little bit today on, on today's show. I'm doing what I can for you guys. Uh, moving on, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the dog food uh, that my wife makes. I shouldn't say we make because she does all the work. And uh, she doesn't. She says she doesn't mind doing it. So hey, I'll, somebody likes to do something, I'll let them do it. We feed the dogs chicken, and we buy leg quarters because bang for the buck, it's the lowest price you can get. Kroger sells a ten-pound bag of leg quarters for about eight bucks. Walmart sells a bag of leg quarters for about a ten-pound bag for like five bucks. Either way, you're looking at. A, a very inexpensive source of protein, bone marrow, mineral, and collagen. Now, many people that feed their dogs chicken feed the dogs the chicken raw, and they just let the dog tear into it, and chicken bones are totally safe for a dog to eat if they're not cooked. Take a chicken, a piece of chicken sometime, and take like a cleaver and hit the bone with it and see what happens. It breaks cleanly. Right. Um, what happens when you cook most bones, this happens, they crystallize. And when you break a bone and it's crystallized, you get those pointed shards that can cause the dog to choke. It's stuck in the dog's throat, gets stuck in its digestive system. All of this is bad. But we cook ours. So how's that work out? We throw it in a pressure cooker. We cook it for 30 minutes. Comes out of the pressure cooker. You pull the chicken off, put it in a bowl. Save all that wonderful juice that goes with the food as well. But we save that separate because if you don't, when you put it in the refrigerator, it makes like a jello mold of chicken, which is really kind of not good. So we separate that. Or I should say Dari does it in two separate containers. And then the dogs get a portion of each. What do we do with the bones? What does Dorothy do with the bones? We save up about three batches of bones. And that will pretty much fill our pressure cooker. We throw all the bones back in for a second because we run that for 90 minutes. And when you get those bones out, they just crumble in your hand. So now the dog can eat the bones. They can get the minerals in the bones. They get the bone broth in addition to the stock, and they get the meat. And that's mostly what we feed them. Uh, Robin says her dogs are 
uh, allergic to chicken and poultry. That's too bad. And I, I don't know where you would go from there. I mean, really low cost ground beef or something like that, I guess, would be the next place to go. And it, it it's not cheap, but it's, I also don't consider it much more expensive than feeding dogs dog food, which if you look at what's in dog food, it's not what dogs are supposed to eat. They have dogs on the same shitty diet they have us on. It's all grain and, and, and carbohydrate based. And a lot of the grain free dog foods, you know, it's they're not good. They're less bad is the way to look at it. Now, the reason we cook the chicken for the dogs. And this might be less true with the stuff from Kroger because Dorothy picks up some picked up some stuff from Kroger, you know, a little more expensive, but they they were, had it in stock. It didn't. It wasn't as just not nice smelling. I'll put it to you that way. The stuff we get from Walmart stinks. I don't even like cooking it. I don't, we don't cook it indoors. I put the pressure cooker out on the uh, bar in, in the outdoor kitchen. Um, I just don't trust it even for a dog. It just seems a little sketchy to me. So that's why we made the decision to cook it. Um, our pressure cooker wouldn't start. Dorothy got tired, tired of screwing with it and threw uh, one of the big slow cookers out there and left to go for three hours, same net effect. So you could do that as well. Um, but that's why we do it. And that's how we do it. Now, what I like to do though, is I like to pick up like a thing of chicken liver or chicken hearts or gizzards. And then we feed the dogs small amounts of those in addition to the chicken for more nutrient, right. And to make sure we're not going to impact any kind of nutrient deficiency and Dorothy's still giving them like a handful of kibble uh, because it provides some bulk and less poop accidents. Now, on the organ meats and dogs, especially liver, let me tell you something you should never do is feed a dog a large amount of cooked liver. I don't care what animal it came from. Small amounts would be like one chicken liver or half a chicken liver. My father made a horrible, horrible decision one time. We went, we had shot, we had shot a deer, bring the heart and liver home. We usually chop the liver up and we feed it as treats to the dogs. He fed like a third of a deer liver boiled, which just seemed like really a bad idea to like an 11 pound Yorkshire Terrier. The dog went rocket fuel level poop on the walls, drug it across the floor and all. And it was, I was, I was a kid and I was like, come on, help me with this. My aunt, dad, I'm out. You did it. You own this one. It's all you. So that's learn from other people's mistakes uh, type of thinking right there. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about fixing a leaky pond. And I, I don't know that I have a great answer for this gentleman. This is another guy where it is complicated enough in his question that I want to make sure that I get this right. So he has a 77-acre farm. He's got a one-and-a-half-acre pond. It's holding less than half of its designate designed water depth. He's tried a polymer pond siller several times, which helped, but only seems to last for 12 to 18 months, then back to the current level, considering several options, including a bentonite-infused geotextile. That would be about $20,000 for one big enough for the pond. Uh, $40,000 if you buy a liner, right, uh, big enough for an acre and a half. Yeah, that, that's multiple liners stuck together. Bentonite dust would be $60,000. Each would require extensive excavation service, $20,000 to $40,000. Hmm. He was going to try one additional spot treatment with about $2,000 of bentonite, but the shipping is almost as expensive. 
Online, he can get the same weight of clumping cat litter with free delivery for less than a thousand bucks. Question for the expert counselor, is there a chance cat litter will do any good compared to true bentonite? All right. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'm not sure about what the right course of action is here. I know that the geotextile infused with bentonite, I've heard really great results from those. And it looks like combined with the excavation, that would be your lowest guaranteed solution. So of the three you mentioned, because I found that everybody that I've talked to that's used one of these has been happy with the results, I would lean in that direction. The question on spot application of bentonite, though. You know, if you let it, or if you even drained it some, right, and then you know where, if you know where the problem is, I believe that bentonite would work here, and I believe that cat litter could work. But I think the, the, the kind of cat litter is really important, and I didn't remember to look this up, but I will, uh, I will look it up and add it to the show notes after I finish today's show. Erica, who used to be part of our expert council many, many moons ago and decided to go off and do other things eventually. I can't think of her last name now, but Erica, um, she like that, did the heads on Homestead book and stuff like that. Really great gal. She built a pond in her backyard using cat litter. And she actually checked with a ton of different cat litters to find the one that would work best. And it ended up being like, I don't remember, I want, I want, I want you to go out and buy it. But it was the Walmart cheapest cat litter that they had. And it, it was it basically she built like, you know, like a hand dug size pond with it and tamped it down and it worked perfectly. So, yes, cat litter can work. However, I don't know that it would work here. That said, a couple thousand bucks or a thousand bucks to take a shot at it. Um, sure. And I would. Definitely read her article that she wrote about it, and I will add it to the show notes for you. I also sent this off to Jeff Lawton for other solutions. Um, there, there's probably other solutions here. When I look at that cost, though, I go, do I just have a smaller pond and put in another pond? Because the cost that I see here, assuming that there's enough clay on site to hold water in the first place, and that the problem is that the pond was not built by a good qualified pond builder in the first place. If that's the case, it may be less expensive to put in a bigger phone. I'm sorry, a bigger, a bigger pond might be, I don't know, but that's, that's the best I can do on this one. And people will say things like ducks and whatever. It, it might work. But that's a big pond. Usually, you know, if you're using like duck manure to seal a pond, it's a fairly small pond. You, you only put a little bit of water in the pond. You let them do their thing, and then you keep adding water so that their area of focus continues outward or pigs or something like that. Like those are generally smaller ponds. They're not generally acre. That's a lot of water, and that's a lot of surface area. And I think one of the bigger things that you really need to be careful with in trying spawn applications are you sure you know where the leak or leaks are? That that that's something you really need to look at. Um, but I, this is Greg. Greg, I would definitely 
at least consider the option of maybe you just need a new pond and have a really qualified builder build that pond for you. Just a thought. Um, I know that it would be devastating to me if I had a pond of that size and I lost it uh, due to leaks and wasn't able to repair it because that's kind of a dream for me to own a piece of, you know, a body of water that big. Uh, next up, let's talk a little bit about something called sickle squash. And for those that have never seen one before, if you're watching the video anyway, I'm just going to play this video muted. You can find the video on my YouTube channel, which if you're watching the video, you should know how to do that. Uh, and it looks an awful lot like a pumpkin, but it is marketed anyway as being a summer squash, not a winter squash. And uh, it's doing really well for me. The, the vine is just absolutely enormous. Uh, I've got a good 10 of them set on there, and I went through a few of them on this video. And I'm going to save at least two of them and let them go, whatever they turn into, let them go full size because getting seed for this stuff was hard. We haven't actually eaten one yet. Uh, maybe I'll eat one at night with dinner and uh, we'll give it a shot. But I expect that it tastes a lot like zucchini. It's marketed as a tropical zucchini. I was not prepared for the vine mania of this thing. It is eaten along with Trombocino, has eaten my trellises. It's eaten my uh, my arches. I actually have a plan now. I'm going to get some cordage, and I have trees that are you know just off the sides of my gardens. I'm actually going to run strings off the trellises up into the trees so that I, I, I can stop cutting vines off the squash. It keeps putting out new vines, and there, there's no place for them anymore. And so this is something I, I definitely recommend. If you get a chance to grow this plant, you give it a shot. The other thing I wanted to talk about was mouse melon. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I have some footage of some mouse melons in this video, too. So I'm going to jump over to that for you. And so mouse melon is also known as cucamelon. And I'm actually playing with a snake bean plant right there, but it's right where the mouse melons are, so I'm sure they'll come up in just a second. And there I'm talking about putting the stuff up in the trees. But the mouse melons are also known as cucamelons. Come on, YouTube. Get with the plan, man. Okay, there we are. There's the mouse melon plant. And uh, I'll show you actually one of these little mouse melons here in a second. They look like a little watermelon. They have stripes on them like a striped watermelon. They get about as big as a grape uh, or an olive or what have you. And a lot of people ask if they're edible. They're absolutely edible. They're delicious little things. Um, they're like a really crunchy cucumber with a little bit of a sourness to it. They're also known as Mexican sour gherkins. And I was asked, well, how do you use them? There's a couple ways. One, you just eat them. Uh, I was pretty tempted to yank that little one off there and eat it. So odd-shaped one. Um, but you just eat them. So you throw them in a salad. If you're a sandwich person, you know, cut them in half so they don't roll. They're great on sandwiches. They give like that cucumber, cooling cucumber crunch. Uh, you don't get a ton of them all at one time, though. They, they kind of set sporadically. And so unless you were growing a ton of them for harvest, you wouldn't get a bunch right away. So pickling, they're very good pickled. They're very good lacto-ferment pick, pickled as well. And they're delicious brined like olives. So the easy solution is you get yourself a jar of olives if you want to brine them or a jar of pickles if you want to pickle them. And as you eat your pickles, you just throw these guys in the brine or the uh, or the pickling juice. And, you know, by the time you've emptied that jar of pickles or olives, you've probably filled it with these things. And, yes, in olive brine, they make an awesome 
garnish for a martini. A really cool garnish for a martini. And I'll tell you what they would actually be really cool with, except I don't drink them. But a water, a watermelon martini with those in it would be kind of like a cool thing to do as like you know, a little bartender stretch or something there. But I love this plant, and I really recommend you consider growing. As you guys can see, my garden is just absolutely banging uh, this year. And I attribute it to biochar, the soil program as a whole that we've been under, and the automated irrigation. I mean, I have just had one of the best years so far that I've ever had. There's that giant squash arch. It's it's kind of crazy. And I may be going for my uh, personal record on Trombancino this year uh, with that one Trombancino that you guys saw earlier there. It's it's uh, it's pretty crazy how big that one is. I'll see if I can find it real quick for you guys. Um, I think it's right about here. It's not that one I'm touching. It's it's one that I'll show in just a second. Um, but it is just a massive, uh, massive squash. And, uh, yeah, I think I'll come up here just a second. I'm actually, there it is there. I was going to, I was going to cut it a couple days ago and make zucchini noodles out of it. And I realized it's too big to fit my zucchini noodle maker. And so we're going to let that guy go and hopefully turn orange. So we have had a, a pretty impressive year. That will be a true tactical assault squash. If uh, things continue the way that they are, anyway, guys, let's uh, let's move on from there. Let's uh, see what's next on the agenda. Okay, yeah, AI. I have made it a goal of mine to learn something new with AI and learn how to use a new tool every week for the rest of the year. In fact, two things, and it doesn't mean a new AI you know, platform or what have you, it might be learning to do something new with one that I'm already playing with. And the two that I've been spending the most time with right now are chat GPT and mid journeys image generator that you use Discord to generate images on. And I, I had this idea and I thought, well, what would happen if I asked it to do this for me? I asked it to generate questions for me. I didn't say I'm me. I said, give me 12 questions to ask Jack Spierko in a podcast interview, and they were really great questions. Then I tweaked them a little, the, the prompting a little bit more, and I got even better questions. So what I'm playing with is new to me stuff this week is I'm using the paid version of ChatGPT with the upgrades that allows you to do things like web browsing, and it has prompt generators and plugins. So one of the things that you can do with it, for instance, is there's a, a, a plugin to get ChatGPT to write the prompts for MidJourney's AI image generation. And I've been playing with that today. And I've been um, playing with some of the other features of ChatGPT where you can, like, let it access the Internet. Now, for those that are freaked out and think it's going to get away, well, it might. I don't know. It won't be because of what I do. The way that they're allowing for that right now is it's a read-only access. It doesn't have the ability to, like, do things, though – We've had some reports that previous versions had some bugs that allowed it to do some execution online, which is kind of crazy. Um, but right now, anyway, it's it's able to basically read and it has to follow like websites, meta tags, like no index and things like that as well. At least that's what they say. Anyway, what that's allowed is for me to say things like we'll generate questions for Nicole Sauce, who the non-Internet app version of it didn't really know much about Nicole. So by being able to go out and learn about her, it was able to generate questions. 
And so I came up with this idea, and the guy that's going to go first in this series is Ken Berry, because it knew who Ken was, and I asked him to generate questions for Ken. But I'm actually going to probably have myself answer the questions that ChatGPT came up with for me. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to put some creepy AI stuff into the production of the show. So this is, if you're watching the video anyway, this is Mid Journey's image tool using a picture of me to generate an image of something that looks a lot like me. I don't think it looks exactly like me, but it looks very similar to me, of me being interviewed by a robot. And uh, I think it's kind of creepy, and I think it got the vibe one. And then here is AI interviewing Ken Berry. So I will be making creepy images like this of all the expert council members. Uh, I've asked Nicole if she'll do it. I think she will. And uh, I know John Pugliano will because he already sent me his headshots. When you're using ChatGPT and you want to give it an image to base what it's doing on of a person, you want just kind of their head with with the background masked out. So you take a picture like up against a, a white wall or something, and then there's a tool right in your MacBook, if you didn't know, in uh, the, you know the, the image viewer tool uh, where you can remove backgrounds from a person's head. So if you give it that, it works a lot better. If you're playing with it, you want to get an image like you're looking at where you're seeing me in a profile, you have to give it a profile picture. No matter how many times you tell it you want them to be facing each other, it doesn't work if you give it a front-facing image. So I got some mug shots from Ken. I got some mug shots from John. Hopefully, Nicole's mug shots will be coming, and uh, we'll do that. Now, this is my, my larger plan, though. During the interview, I will summarize an answer and prompt to get follow-up questions and see what we can do. And that's kind of why I was thinking maybe have Nicole interview me um, because then she could do the same thing and, and act as the interviewer for that episode. Uh, the other idea that I had, I don't know if I'll do this or not, but if we do as a live stream, then we probably will. Uh, maybe whoever's doing the interview, me when it's the rest of the council members, maybe it's Nicole when, um, when, when I'm being interviewed, is make up an image of just kind of the AI bot, right? And uh, maybe include the face of the interviewer in the image generation. So it's kind of like me as a bot. And instead of seeing me in motion, just put up an icon while I'm doing the interview just just to play just to play around with it. And I know this isn't everybody's cup of tea to say I stuff, uh, but I'm going to tell you, like I did when I did the episode on it, this is going to be used against you. And if you don't learn how it works it will be a much more effective weapon against you. I am truly of the belief that any weapon that your enemy has, you should have an equal or more powerful weapon on your side. And if you can't get one as powerful, you should get as close as you can. And th th I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you flat out, you can't run away from this. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. Is it? I've had a couple of people ask me recently, do you feel it's overhyped? I do feel it's overhyped, but I feel it's overhyped and undersold how big the impact is going to be, because I think the media wants you to pay attention to it, but fear it because they know that it is their ilk that are going to have access to the most powerful versions of it. And they don't want you to equalize that at all. The entire purpose of the media is to change the way you think through programming, 
which is exactly why it's called programming. Right? When they sit down and they decide what miniseries they're going to produce or whatever, they refer to it as programming. And everything that is in the media is designed to alter your thought process. And the thing that AI does is make things that are already very doable much more scalable. They are going to have tools that monitor your behavior and your responses, including how long you look at something, to develop a a personal profile of you. And they can say whatever they want about protecting your identity and anything. They're going to do this. And what it will do again, it, I, I've said this before, but this is a this is a typical method of mind control. You learn this in certain schools in the military. You tear down beliefs a little at a time. You, you, you create doubts. You create cracks in the other person's belief system. And it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't at all um, matter at first what belief system you're cracking. You can, you can, anything you do, anything that you do that tears down the belief systems of a person leaves a vacuum that can be filled with a different piece of information. So I don't have to start out attacking you where I most have objection to the way you think. I just have to I just have to attack anything that I perceive as weak. Now, with AI monitoring everything that you do when you're online and eventually even when you're using that other computer you call a television. Yeah, because they're all I mean, our TVs have Android built into them right now. We have smart TVs. It's like it's like a giant Android tablet plus a television. So they're they're getting more sophisticated and don't think that there won't be things like eye scanning technology built into your TVs. They'll they'll, they'll come up with some way to sell it to you as being a better uh, entertainment delivery system and promise you that it won't be used against you. Uh, But what it'll be is a tool for marketing and advertising, which the news is part of. And they'll be able to tell things like where your attention goes. And so that that will be able to, to drill down to who is this? And it doesn't matter if they don't use your identity. It doesn't matter if you're a number. It's still being done to you. And they'll say, this is where this person's most weak in their core belief system. And it'll start attacking that a little bit at a time by changing what you see, how you see it, when you see it, and how long you see it. And as it gauges that it's created this crack, right, it'll start to insert new information. Now, you know what happens when an entity of any kind takes away your beliefs and replaces them with new beliefs? they begin to become a trusted thing in your mind. You begin to actually trust a source when it successfully destroys beliefs and replaces them. Why do you think that is the entire way that the school system is set up? Break you down and build you back in the image that we want. Same thing you do with a soldier in the military. They tell you they're doing it there, but it's not just how you think. It's how you act. It's your physicality. It's everything. They say, like, you know, you're here for eight weeks, men, and we're going to break you down for four and build you up for four. They tell you flat out that's what you're going to do. But this is doing it with psychology at a very sophisticated level, fine-tuned to the individual, which was never scalable before. It will be used for a lot of evil shit. You don't need to fear AI. You need to fear the people who want the most control of it and what they will do with it. You also do need to fear losing your job.
a lot of you, and like I said, knowledge workers, you're the ones that are most at risk. High paid, you know, mid-tier knowledge workers, people that are paid for what they know, you are in the crosshairs. Except this tech isn't as good as it's, this is the hype side. It's not as good as people make it out to be. And if you start using it, you'll see its weaknesses. And what you'll learn really quick is that the learning curve on this stuff is actually dramatically fast to the point where we're now using one AI tool to hack another. That's what this mid-journey prompt plugin that I'm playing with today does. I say this is what I want in plain English, and it turns it into a prompt. I copy and paste it into mid-journey, and my results get much better. So what you're going to see is not people replaced by AI in a one-to-one ratio, like your job has been eliminated by a robot. Please go get your unemployment check and your severance package, and a robot comes in and takes your job or is just downloaded to your computer or something like that. All of this stuff, for now anyway, still requires people to use it. And it is it is a dramatic difference in about a month how much better your results become as you learn how to use the tool. And it's the people that can adapt to that change quickest who will have employment security into the future. And you can keep thinking that's not the case. You can keep thinking that you're not in the crosshairs and whatever. And if you're, if you're, you know, you're welding busted shit in the oil fields back together in Midland, Texas, you're probably pretty safe for quite a while, right? But if your job involves sitting down a lot, if it involves thinking and making decisions, your job's at risk, not because you'll be replaced by AI, because somebody like you will be able to do five times more work by themselves with AI than you can do, right? It would be, so what we'll end up with is like a cannibalization of where you won't have all the jobs go away, but one person will now be doing the work of four or five. That's a lot of people laid off. It's coming. It's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's the same thing. I started talking to you guys about Bitcoin. When? Back in 2012? Oh, Bitcoin show. Bitcoin. I say it's not going to go away. It's going to go to zero. Peter Schiff said it's going to zero. Gerald Salente said it's going to zero. It's 2023. It's almost, what, 30 grand a day? It's somewhere in that twenty-seven dollars to $30,000 range. Stuff's being built on it everywhere now. Like, Noster's not built on Bitcoin, but it is built on a Bitcoin model. Relays instead of nodes, integrated lightning payments into it. One of the most rapid growing social networks we've ever seen. Why? Because people are tired of being censored. And people are, here's the other thing. This is what you have to understand about this shit. Social media is already using a crude version of AI and has been forever. That's the algorithms. Didn't figure out that Larry here, right? Larry, Larry gets really mad when he sees certain things. And I could tell he gets mad because of the tone of his contents, his comments, right? And, I, and he clicks on them. And the, they can actually tell sometimes, like, how you clicked. Like I said, click tracking technology is old. And the technology that I was using for marketing clients more than 15 years ago, because I haven't done that since really since I started TSP, right? So we were born more than 15 years back. Not only would it show you where people clicked and create a heat map on a page, it would show you where people clicked harder. How the hell it knows, I don't know. But it would be like this was like a hard click versus a soft click. 
And it would use the fact that people moved the mouse to generate an IMAP, a predictive IMAP as well. Well, you know, things have gotten a little bit better in the last 15 to 20 years as far as technology goes, right? We all admit that. So what do you think that they have now? So they're already using this. Now, if, if you watch the, the series, The Social Dilemma, it's not a series, it's a documentary called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. It's really kind of focused on Facebook, but they, all the social media companies do the same thing. It shows how basically there's three parts to the algorithm, and each is represented by a person with a specific personality type. And they talk to each other. What do we show them next? Like this person quit coming to Facebook. How, what email do we send to trigger them to come back? And son of a bitch, if it won't always be something like a picture that was posted by the, who they figured out was like your girlfriend in high school. Because who's... Who doesn't want to know? Either she's really pretty and you're like, I used to date her or she went downhill and you're like, I'm glad I got out of that. Like they just know how to play the psychology game. Take that and steroid infuse it. And that's what they're going to do with this AI. AI is going to make all these decisions for you about what you see, who you see it from, who you don't see it from. But if you break out of that prison and use protocols like Noster versus platforms like Twitter, and you empower yourself with the same AI, you actually have the ability to do more, to actually benefit from this. And so, no, I won't stop talking about it, right? I'm not going to pretend something that's going to alter the course of human existence over the next decade isn't there in a show that's supposed to prepare you to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. That'd be asinine. That's why no matter how much some of you bitched and cried and whined, about the Bitcoin thing, it never went away. I never stopped talking about it. I didn't turn every show into a show about it, and I'm not going to do that with this either. But it's too important to ignore. Please don't ignore this, and please understand something can be overhyped and undersold at the same time. It's actually marketing 101. It's actually marketing 101. Because when you sell too hard to people, they resist it. But they like hype. And there's a difference between hype and selling. Features tell, benefits sell, right? Hype is on the benefit side. Here's all the wonderful things that you'll get and be afraid at the same time. That's, that's how this is being done. And I think the more you understand the pattern of the media, the quicker you are to spot what they're up to. And I, that's why I'm so big on this AI thing. You will be able to have clues and tells, right? So like, I was talking to my nephew about this and he was talking about how, cause his, his wife's an Instagram model. And he was talking about how some of the people in the space now, like all their images are AI and you know, they finally figured out that's what they're doing. I look at him like, well, that's AI. And you can tell by here, here and here instantly. I, I can tell you this is an AI generated image, even when they're super realistic looking. Yeah. Jack in 2025. Welcome to the AI breakout. I don't think so. I'm going to let guys want to do that. I think we'll just have some commentary on it on variety shows, and once in a while we'll do a deep dive into it. Uh, I do need to get some more episodes of Bitcoin Breakout out, though. Don't I? I will, we'll look at that next week with a short week. That's not going to happen this week. Anyway, um, that's what we're going to be doing with AI uh, going forward. want to real quick remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. Uh, I have the Cable Matters 6 Outlet wall mount surge protector back today. Why? Because it's on sale. It's marked down again. Uh, it's knocked down 48% off. That has it 11 bucks. If you're watching the video, you can see it's a very simple item. 
It's got two USB ports and six electrical outlets and a screw. You basically take the wall plate off. You plug it into your outlet. You put the screw that comes with it in instead of the wall plate screw, and that way it holds onto the wall, and when you pull your cord out, it doesn't pull off the wall on you. You don't have to put that screw in there, but it will make your life a little bit better if you do it. Um, I don't really market this as a surge protector, even though they say it is. These types of surge protectors are not something I would rely on to protect a really expensive television. I would get something dedicated to the task. I look at this as an outlet expander. Right. So my wife has these Glade plug in things. You plug them into the electrical outlet and they smell good. You know what they do? They take a they go in one hole, but they they block the other hole. So by like when she does something like that, I still have power access. Plus, I don't need a charging cube to charge a phone or a computer or something like that. There's a, a USB outlet anywhere and everywhere that you have one of these. I pretty much installed four of these throughout the house in various places they work really great. I've had I've had the oldest one that I've had I've had for years now. I'm going to say definitely pre-COVID and it still works just fine. But the reason I ended up selecting it today wasn't just that it was on sale. I said to myself, self, what is your best selling product in the T-Spaz catalog of 2023 so far? And it wasn't even close. More than 400 of these were bought through T-SPAS this year, and it's still May. It's not even June yet. 400 plus of them. Um, and you know how many complaints I've had? None. I've been selling this product for four or five years, and I've had never a complaint on a product that sells in that volume. That says something. It says you guys like it, you use it, it works, and you don't complain about it. There's only one complaint that I see about it in reviews on Amazon, and that is if you look at the top, there's a little like plexiglass-looking thing there. When you plug it in, that lights up, and it's actually fairly bright in the dark. It makes a good little nightlight type thing. Well, people complain that if they put one in their bedroom that it's too bright for them to sleep, and I would say it's about equivalent of the brightness of the clock on a cable box or something like that, maybe a little bit brighter than that. Well, there's a couple solutions. One, don't put it in your bedroom. Two, get some black paint and paint over it. Right? That would be another thing. Or put some black tape over it. You know, th those would be solutions. Or, you know, do something different in your bedroom. I don't know. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I find it to be quite useful if you get up in the middle of the night to have a little bit of illumination like that, but not something that blinds you. So I actually think it's pretty useful. Again, I wouldn't put it. I like to sleep in dark Right. I keep my phone on the night table. And that way, if I have to get up at night, I just click my phone on. I don't um, turn the flashlight. I just click the screen on and it's bright enough to see where you're going. But if I come out like midnight, you know, snack rate or something like that, not that I do that a lot. Uh, but if I have to come out into the uh, living area for whatever reason, it's enough light to not bust your toe on the table. And so anyway, these are really great. Uh, remember, whenever you shop online, if you start your shopping at tspaz.com, you help us out no matter what you buy. Remember, our tickets for the 15-year the, the anniversary go on sale Thursday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, set a reminder, what have you. I'm not going to do, like, members only or any kind of hidden thing for this. I don't expect it will sell out super fast. But, again, you never know. Um 75 is kind of it for the space that we have. Um, so 
that's what it's going to be. Oh, the location again, it's called Pinstripes. It's in a place called Clear Fork, uh, Fort Worth. So it's, it's southwest of downtown Fort Worth. Pretty easy to get to. Um, if you're going to come in from out of state and I, it seemed kind of crazy to me that people did, but people did it last time. Some guys drove in from Chicago last time. People flew in from various places. Uh, there's plenty of hotels in the area. No problem. DFW airport would be the airport you'd want to use. Uh, I look forward to seeing a lot, a lot of you guys there. I'm going to look into potentially doing something else early that day that would be for people that wanted to add that. Uh, I've thought about maybe doing some rounds of sporting clays or something. That's obviously going to have a limited head count. But, uh, and if we do something like that, somebody that can't come to the event would still be welcome to come to that. If you're local and you have time to come to something like that. But I haven't decided if we're going to do it yet. It's going to be July in Texas. It's probably going to be pretty hot outside. So, um, We'll think about that again, guys. Thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it again. I felt, I don't know, maybe it's a long weekend or something. My timing was a bit off today. I'll try to do a better job for you tomorrow. As for tomorrow, who do we have tomorrow? We have Kelsey Wiggins and we are going to be talking about, uh, what are we going to be talking about? I don't know. Seed the table garden manager. Uh, and we're going to be talking about, um, schools previously funded her position and um, how she's turned that back around. I really, but I'm going to have to talk to uh, my delivery person for uh, my documents that's not stapled in the correct order. So my granddaughter has to do some work on that. So I'll pass the buck on that one. Anyway, guys, appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Check us out tomorrow. It'll be a great interview, even though I'm not exactly sure what we're talking about at the moment. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way